You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich. Welcome, I'm Christina Michelle, inviting you to join me for Culture Rich Conversations, an ongoing feature of Juno Afternoon. Today, I'm having a conversation with Trina Lynch-Jackson, memory care director, storyteller, and author. From her Uncle Charles's legacy of art to her new life in Alaska, Trina and I will discuss it all, including her new book entitled The Forget-Me-Not Chronicles, Volume 1. From KTOO in Juneau, this is Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. The Black Awareness Association would like to take a moment to recognize that Culture Rich Conversations is broadcast from Flinket Ani. We acknowledge those families who made use of this land and waterways for thousands of years and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life for today and future generations. Gunalschish, thank you. I'm Christina Michelle, and I'm joined today by our guest, Trina Lynch-Jackson. Trina, thank you so much for joining us. Some of our listeners may recall that you were on the show a few months ago. And last time you shared about your uncle Charles Bugs and his legacy. And we are very, very excited to have you back. Welcome. Thank you, Christina. So for those who didn't hear it last time, can you tell us about who your uncle was? My uncle Charles Dean Bugs was an artist. He also worked here as a mental health worker, but he enjoyed working with the high school students making masks. And he was known as the mask man. So he created, I'm not even going to tell you how many masks I have in the condo, um, over 25 masks. And when he passed, he left a briefcase And one of my stories from a previous book is titled The Briefcase. And in the briefcase, he left everything he wanted me to have. And he wanted me to continue the legacy of community. So that's what I'm doing. I retired from Ivy Tech Community College in Lake County as an educator. So Lake County, Indiana. And I also worked as a dementia Alzheimer's director for over 20 years. So I've done a lot in my young life. And I wanted to be able to share a lot about dementia, Alzheimer's, um, especially as it relates to people of color. Excellent. So we'll get more into your work as a caregiver and working with those with dementia and Alzheimer's a little bit later. Um, But can we talk a little bit more about your uncle and the masks? Can you describe them? I have a few of them here in the studio that it's such a pleasure uh, to to be looking at. Um, Can you tell us what kind of mask your uncle made? 
He really wanted to honor and cherish different cultures. So a few of the masks I brought today, one identifies the, identifies the Asian culture, and he studied a lot of the different cultures, um, really took a lot of time. I didn't bring the one that um, actually celebrates Day of the Dead, because October, um, Halloween is coming. But I just shared a few of them um, as it relates to some of the cultures. One is a Nigerian mass. Um, they're very intricate. And a lot of this he was able to do um, as a graduate of Howard University. Um, one of his instructors challenged the students on being able to create a work of math, a work of art, which would cost less than $5. And he worked in a mailroom and he saw all this paper and he said, there's got to be something I can do with paper. And that's what he did. The masks are made with paper mache, uh, a lot of Elmer's glue, um, some thin wood, and the shape is the shape of a baseball mitt. So it's actually the, it's shaped like a human face. But again, each mass actually focuses on culture. And living here in Juneau, Alaska, I have quite a few masks um, that are shaped like ravens because he wanted to honor that particular clan. One of his neighbors is from the raven clan. So he so in loved Juno and embraced the culture, but he also wanted to focus on other cultures. So when people talk about diversity and inclusion, my uncle truly embraced and cherished that. And of course, that's been vast passed on as a family legacy as well. Well, these masks are absolutely beautiful, and we'll take some pictures and post them on our Facebook page so our listeners can see what we're talking about here. Um, so you're continuing the legacy of community that your uncle started, and can you share a little bit about how you do that? Prior to coming here, I actually did a lot of storytelling on my uncle's mask in the different high schools. My plan here, I actually met with someone at the library. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to further display his mask and also hopefully work with someone at the Juno Douglas Museum. I'd like to be able to have a lot of his mask on display there simply because he lived here and work with the young children for over 20 years. So my goal is to actually have the mask on display and to be able to share, again, to continue to share his legacy. And have you been able to display any of his masks during Black History Month anywhere? In Indiana, every February at our Lake County public libraries, the Gary Library as well. They have always been on display there. So that is something I truly want to be able to do here. And what about at Howard University, since your uncle graduated from there? 
I have attempted to connect with Howard University several times, and I have not, unfortunately, been able to make that connection. That's something I will continue to reach out to them because he shared so many stories about when he was at Howard, having seen Roberta Flack as a young prodigy, having seen Felicia Rashad. He actually went to school with these amazing artists. So that's why I really want to be able to share his talent there, um, not only at Howard, but here, which had become, again, his cherished home. Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm here with Trina Lynch-Jackson, and Trina is sharing about her uncle Charles's masks, his legacy, and also I understand that your uncle Charles really loved Juno. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about how he arrived here? My uncle loved fishing. Oh, no. He came here just to fish. He so enjoyed the beauty. And I can't tell you how I love when I wake up in the morning just just looking out from the condo. Um, He loved the beauty and the culture and the people and the museums because he was an art teacher in Washington, D.C., and he was also a curator at the Children's Museum. But once he got back from fishing here, he retired from the school. He retired from the Children's Museum. And Christina, he packed up everything, and he came to Juno. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And you have spent quite a bit of time here in Juneau as well. And now I understand you live here. Is that correct? Absolutely. When he passed and I shared the story of the briefcase here when I did the first interview with you, and thank you for allowing me to do that, he left me his estate because he knew I would keep it. I'm the first niece the first grandchild on the mater- the paternal side. So, again, I had been flying back and forth for the last 11 years because, again, I teach at a community college. And I thought it was critical that there be representation in the classroom. Our students need to see a reflection of themselves in the classroom. And that was my main focus. I had been a department chair for the School of Business, Supply Chain Management, and Logistics. So I had an opportunity to hire individuals. And that's my legacy, actually, to Ivy Tech Community College in Lake County. They have representation in the school system that reflects the students, and that's critical. I've also worked with ACBSP. That's our accrediting body for the schools of business. As a matter of fact, the University of Alaska Southeast is a member of ACBSP. I've served as an evaluator, mentor, and commissioner. I've just completed my term as chair of the commission for ACBSP. And on my journeys going to the different community college systems, Again, I did not see a reflection for the students of people of color in the classroom. 
So that was important to me. And again, we talk about diversity and inclusion. That's important, but we also have to practice it. So I have been able to practice it. And I know that there is a reflection at the Lake County campuses. So again, that was important to me. So how, uh, what led to you deciding to come live in Juneau full time? It was time. Um, I was actually watching um, a show this morning and people talking about mental health and how important it is. And it was time for me, based on my mental health, to transition here and continue my journey. And I'm living my life, Christina, like it's golden. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> A little Jill Scott reference there. Absolutely. <laughs> so what was your first impression of Juno after you moved here? I'm just so excited. Um, I wake up in the morning and my plans are plans on doing whatever I want. I love going to the service station. When I had my vehicle shipped here, I went to the Capitol service station. Staff is amazing. I probably shouldn't be freely <laughs> advertising for people, but they're just amazing. I, I go there. I'm not used to pulling up to a service station and someone running out and servicing your vehicle. It's amazing. Um, I'm always at Costco's. I love the Costco staff. Um, people are just amazing here. Uh, not to take away from where I was, but it's a different type of vibe. And, and maybe it's my, I don't want to say retirement because I do so many other things, but um, people are amazing here. Um, and I'm loving every moment of it. I look forward to going to a play this Saturday. I love going to the hmm, the gym. Yes, I go to the gym. I have my yoga classes all worked out. So I have a, a schedule. I go to the Copa for my hot ch chocolate made with almond milk and my fresh pastry pastries. So am I enjoying my life, Christina? I don't want to repeat it, but again... Living my life like it's golden. One hundred percent love that, and I just I love the way that um, you're describing your life here in Juno, and it makes me want to just follow you around all day. <laughs> you make Juno sound so magical, which it absolutely is. So yes. thank you for the reminder. So our show is about the Black lived experience in Alaska and beyond. And I'd love if you could share a little bit about what your experience has been like here as a person of color. I see very few people of color, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And I'm OK with that um, because I, I think it's important that we're able to embrace all cultures. Uh, I want to be able to, to see more people of color here 
and I'm sure I will start making some connections. That's important for me because, Christine, I'm a little high maintenance. So, you know, that manicure, pedicure, <laughs> um, I've been able to have that kind of service. They're wonderful. Um, the eyelashes, again, I'm high maintenance, Christina, so I, <laughs> the eyelashes are taken care of, but I'm going to have to talk to you about my hair. Okay. Because again, women of color, when you're high maintenance, you know, I've, I've got the weave thing going on, so I need to be able to make those kind of um, connections. I attend the, the Catholic Church. Um, I really enjoy the fellowship there. Um, I'm on the lector schedule now. So as a matter of fact, yesterday, last Sunday in September, I was the lector and I embrace and enjoy my religion. I come from a, a, Catholic, a family of praying Catholics. My grandmother was from New Orleans. My grandmother always carried her rosaries with her, always prayed the rosaries. And again, we tended to be the only families of color in many of the Catholic churches. But I've embraced that. Um, but the power of being a woman of color is important. I love that. And you're actually reminding me about um, a resource that I've um, been thinking we should put on the BAA website for new black people in town um, to put where you can get your hair done, because it is a constant struggle. So <laughs> thank you for the reminder. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've watched more YouTube videos on how to braid and how to flat iron and how to blow out and all the things uh, since I've been here than ever I would have ever imagined. <laughs> well, if you're just joining us, I'm Christina Michelle and I'm here with Trina Jackson. We've been having a wonderful conversation about Trina's life, her history with Juno and her amazing uncle Charles's legacy. When we return, Trina will share more with us about her new book and her passion for caregiving. We'll take a quick break.
Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Before we went to break, my guest Trina Lynch Jackson shared about her uncle Charles and her life here in Juneau. And now, Trina, I would love if we could talk more about your work as it relates to being a caregiver. So I know that you were a memory care director for quite some time. Can you talk to us about what that entails? I had the the honor of being in memory care or dementia or Alzheimer's. Um, many of the, I guess, titles were interchanged based on what was going on. But taking care of some amazing people and just having wonderful staff as well. So I did that for over 20 years. So a lot of work that I have done has actually touched uh, specifically on that particular topic. Um, something I want to share with the listening audience, according to 2022 Alzheimer disease facts and figures, there are 6.5 million Americans age 65 and older that are living with Alzheimer's dementia. Um, so here in the United States. So that's quite a few people. And the book that I recently completed focused specifically for caregivers was dedicated to my aunt, my aunt Lavoid Somerville, who has this particular diagnosis. So working in the field, I enjoyed every moment of it. But when you have a family member that has this diagnosis, um, it's touching um, and it's emotional. And that's why I wrote this particular book. Um, and the stories that are in this book, and again, um, it's about a cat, um, the first story is actually titled That Cat, is based on some of my experiences with the amazing residents that I took care of and the staff that I took care of. But I wanted to dedicate this to my aunt and my cousin, Donna Somerville-Smith, who was a practicing attorney. So she actually stepped away from her job so that she could take care of my aunt and my uncle. So her husband, Brad Smith, who is a Gary fireman, he told her, I want you to take care of your family because that's our family. And, and that's what marriage is about, because he said, you never know again what will happen. So... Again, this is in honor of her and also knowing most recently my brother, who is two years younger than me, but I call him my big brother, <laughs> Reginald Bugs. He has been diagnosed with dementia as well. So when you work in this field and then you have family members that have this diagnosis, which is typically called the long journey, because again, it is a, a long journey taking care of these amazing people. Um, it's painful. So what I wanted to be able to do was to actually share some teachable moments, 
with caregivers because what I find is caregivers don't take care of themselves. They're so focused on taking care of that individual with the diagnosis. And again, there's a lot involved with the diagnosis. But I've had to share with caregivers, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of that person that you want to protect. So a lot of times, and I ran a support group for over 20 years, an Alzheimer's support group. The first thing I would ask caregivers, and I'm sharing this with the audience, so I hope the audience is listening. When is the last time you had a complete physical? And sometimes the caregiver would pause and reflect. And again, they were so focused on taking care of their loved one that they did not take care of themselves. So again, sharing those critical teachable moments to caregivers. A lot of times they would share, I can't get my loved one to drink water. I can't get them to drink water. And they're always having urinary tract infections. And I'd say the best way to get them to drink water is for you to take that bottle of water. You start drinking it and you give the bottle of water to them, and you're drinking water together. I said, because sometimes that urinary tract infection that they're having, a lot of times you also have it because you're not drinking enough water. So a lot of this is actually really sharing with caregivers some of the things they have to do in order to be there to take care of their loved ones. You know, I talk to them about sometimes their loved one will say, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And a lot of that relates to they may be sundowning. There may be something going on. You may have said something about that individual with the diagnosis not understanding that people with the diagnosis, believe it or not, they have moments of clarity. Let me repeat again. They have moments of clarity. So when you're saying things about them in front of them, that can be painful. Mm -hmm. That can be hurtful. So I try to tell caregivers how important it is, no matter what you're going through, if they're in the room Remember, there are moments when they have clarity, no matter what they're going through. So let's be careful about discussions. I try to share with caregivers the importance of therapeutic fibbing. There are going to be times when you can't tell your loved one the truth. I spent some time with my Aunt Lavoid prior to transitioning here to Juno, she was in the hospital and I just wanted to give my cousin some relief because she's just been amazing about taking care of my aunt and my uncle, making sure that they have adequate nursing care, making sure that they have adequate meals. But there are times when she wasn't eating, she wasn't drinking water the way she should, no matter what. So she ended up going to the hospital, and I spent a few hours with her, and it was just amazing just sitting down with her. And she knows me. 
She said, Trina, oh, Trina, how you doing? And I said, oh, I'm fine, Auntie. How are you? And she talked about how she was fine. And she asked about my mother. And I told her, oh, mom's at bingo. Now, my mother has since passed years ago. But that's not something you want to say to an individual with that diagnosis. You don't want them to experience the pain of death and loss. So I said, yeah, mom's at bingo. She said, oh, your mother loves bingo. Oh, my goodness. I said, yeah, she's there with Auntie Gloria, which was my aunt's sister as well who had passed. But she was just so happy. You know, we sat and talked, and then we both snooze and take naps and then we wake back up. And she asked about my daughter. She says, how's Regina? And again, my daughter has since passed. But I told her, oh, Regina's doing fine. She says, I hope that girl's not giving you any problems. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to, and we both just laughed. I said, you know that Regina is something else. She said, I know, girl. And just spending those hours with her, just laughing and talking, it brought her comfort, but it also brought me comfort. It also brought me joy. And caregivers need to understand the importance of comfort, joy, having discussions, and giving individuals a break when they're ultimately responsible for the care of their loved ones. And I want the audience to know as well, if you have a family member with this diagnosis, if you're a long-distance caregiver, please understand that a lot of times that husband or that wife is not going to share with you what they're going through taking care of that loved one. Because again, you're only there for a short time. You're only there for a holiday. They're there for that long journey. So make sure you're checking and you're double checking to see what's going on with your parents to do what you can. A telephone call, a Zoom call. It's amazing the technology that we have. I encourage my listening audience to take the time to check in on your loved ones and understand that we're living longer. Remember, I'm living my life like it's golden, but I'm, I'm older and I'm preparing myself and I'm making sure that I'm enjoying every moment of my life as well. But I'm also preparing my grandchildren as well. That's important. Well, Trina, can you um, share with some of our listeners, I don't want to assume that everybody understands the diagnosis of dementia um, or Alzheimer's. So can you share it from your perspective um, what that diagnosis is? And also, is this something that is, from what we know about it, is it genetic? Is it due to lifestyle? Um, what, what do we know? There's a lot that we don't know, unfortunately, and I, I don't want to. I'm not a medical professional, 
So I'm not even going to attempt to do that. And I don't even want to to put it toward the genetics. I know that our brain sometimes when we don't utilize everything that we have, we lose it. And it's important to use those gray cells. But again, a lot of this is based on the disease process. So again, if you don't use it, you lose it. So many individuals, when they retire, they retire from life. They mm-hmm. stop enjoying themselves. So this disease affects the brain. And you have twists and tangles in the brain because, again, you're not utilizing. So this disease process, sometimes you're not diagnosed for quite some time because people really try and cover up what's going on. You'll see them with sticky notes or post-it notes trying to remember. It's very important that your doctor, a neurologist, diagnose this. Um, And normally the diagnosis is dementia. There are different forms of dementia. Um, A lot of this could be based on emotion. Can you imagine being married to someone for 30, 40 years and losing that loved one and becoming depressed and not taking care of yourself and not eating not drinking, that overwhelming sadness. So again, a a lot of this is about care. And we're talking more about mental health now. There were times, Christina, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't talk about mental health. That's true. We didn't do a lot of talk about dementia or Alzheimer's or investigating what's going on. So... Again, if you don't use it, you will, in fact, lose it. So this is a disease of the brain, and there are so many things that can have a dramatic effect on this. My brother, um, he pretty much hid a lot of what was going on, but my sister-in-law, being a nurse, knew that, in fact, there was something wrong with him. He wasn't remembering things. He would repeat things. Um, He's extremely kind. Um, The driving, um, there was an issue with the driving. She finally took him to the doctor, and the doctor told him, you can no longer drive. And we had a discussion about it. He said, you know, I was upset about it. He said, but I realized that I really couldn't do it. I couldn't handle it anymore. And when they drove me for my last little dinner with them prior to me transitioning here, my sister-in-law was talking about how he always wants to give her directions. And he said, that's my joy. I can't drive anymore. So allow me to do that. And just being with them and listening to them and her frustrations about him not drinking enough water and making sure that he takes his medication, making sure that when he's sundowning and when the sun goes down, and I'm sure we we will all experience this here in Juneau, you have to turn the lights on. 
got to turn a lot of lights on um, so that that person, when they're saying, I want to go home, I want to go home, and a lot of it is based on fear, you know, the darkness. Sometimes there's not enough activity going on. Sometimes there's too much activity going on. So knowing your loved one, knowing the type of care that they require, if they love baseball, make sure you have baseball games on. You can always record baseball. If they love music, jazz, country, hip-hop, whatever type of music, make sure you have those memories for them. So a lot of this is creating something specifically for those individuals. We know about the disease, you know, and people always seem to think that they should use the same things based on what they hear. But even though we know about the disease, we're all unique in our life experiences. I can't imagine what people are going to have to do as it relates to me when I have this diagnosis because I spent a little time in the military. I worked in a steel mill for seven years. I taught amazing students. I've been an Alzheimer's director. Can you imagine trying to create <laughs> some type of activity or memory box for me? And memory boxes are wonderful. You know, creating a memory box and just putting things in that box. If a loved one loved baseball, have a baseball in there. Have a baseball mitt. So does a person remember if they if they're losing their memory, do they remember the things that they used to love? Long term memory is what they embrace. Long term memories are their safety. Mm. So that's why it's important to do that. But again, it's unique to every individual I was sharing with someone, as a matter of fact, today that we were taking care of a, a gentleman and he was in the bathroom and he looked in the mirror and he started screaming. And that was the first time myself and one of the nurses had experienced that kind of reaction with a resident. He was actually afraid of himself. So we contacted the doctor right away. We had to cover the mirrors to protect him mm. and to comfort him. And they had to change his medications. They had to make sure that he had um, therapy. We had family counseling sessions. So again, this d disease is unique to each individual, but that was the first time I had ever experienced someone actually being really he was terrified of himself just so looking in the mirror. Him, he forgot the way that he looked. Yes. Wow. Yes. He was screaming. So um, that's going to be in my second book. Um, I'm working on the uh, second book. So, again, um, this is from the Forget-Me-Not Chronicles, Volume 1, actually talks about the cat and that journey. And one of the residents on the unit, he had worked 
um, insecurity. He had worked midnights in security. And when he was presented to our unit, he actually worked midnights on the unit. And what we did with programming is we actually spent a lot of time with family so we could find out about the history of the resident that would be on the unit. So he worked midnights and we changed the breakfast schedule for him. The cat would follow him around and he would report to me when I'd come on the unit in the mornings because I had a secured unit. He would come to the office and he would report to me all the activities that it went on. He would tell me about what the nurses were doing. And when he was finished, he would go to his room and sleep. And we had a, a schedule where we'd have breakfast taken to him. And Christina, this is what you're going to love. I kind of got myself in trouble because he had worked for about two weeks and he came to my office and he said, um, you know, I like you, Trina. You're, you're a nice lady. You know, you're doing a good job here, but I need to be paid. Now, I just <laughs> I just can't keep doing this for free. And I just had to hold back a laugh because I hadn't... <laughs> I hadn't expected that. So I got myself in further trouble because we thought we could give him fake money. Oh. The things that I have ex experienced <laughs> and the things that I have done. So we gave him this fake money and him not knowing, he thought I was actually paying him and he was fine. His family came to take him to dinner. They took him out to dinner. Again, this story is in the book. He wanted to use the <laughs> fake money to pay because he wanted oh, to be no. able to treat his family. Christina, <laughs> the trouble I have gotten myself in... <laughs> You know, just trying to accommodate and to learn the residents and the family. The family laughed. They took care of it. But he chewed me oh. out. And I dropped my head and I apologized. And we made sure that we had money placed in his account so that whenever he went out with his family, Aww. he could get real money out of his account <laughs> and he could take them out. And I would sit with him every two weeks and we would go over the monies that was placed in his account. So that is just one story. <laughs> that is so sweet. And I can imagine in all the years that you did this work, there are so many stories. How did you choose which ones went into the Forget Me Not Chronicles? And I know it's volume one, so there'll be more volumes, it sounds like. Well, for some, I wanted to, to share a little laughter, a little joy, and some of the things that I have made mistakes in, in taking care of the loved ones uh, so that people can understand you can't always pull the wool over these amazing residents. 
another one of the residents, one of the family members had come in. She's looking for her mother. She's like, where is my mother? And we called her Irene the Kissing Bandit. I worked at a place where I always got kisses. Whenever I left my job, I always got kisses. There's not a lot of people that can safely say that now, especially during the times that we live in. But Irene was our kissing bandit and our hat thief. (laughs) Oops. Did I just say that? Yes, I'm saying that. But when her daughter came to visit her, she said, where's my mom? I said, your mom's at church service. She said, church service? I said, my mom doesn't go to church. I said, I've got news for you. Your mom goes to church. She leads the choir. Your mom is having a good time down there. I said, just go down the hall and you will see your mom. And she walked down the end of the hall and she I could just see the tears, tears in her eyes. She says, I, I just don't. I don't believe it. And she had on someone's hat as well. (laughs) So we always had to um, make sure that we had a replacement hat for Irene because she would get angry if you would ask for a hat that she had um, borrowed, let's put it like that, from someone. (laughs) And she had borrowed quite a few of my hats. And to this day, um, I can't even tell you the hats I have. And whenever I put one on, I kind of think of Irene, the the kissing and the hat bandit. So um, that story is actually um, in the Forget Me Not Chronicles, Volume 1. Well, I'm here with Trina Lynch-Jackson, if you're just now joining us. And Trina has been sharing about her journey as a memory care director. Um, Earlier in the show, she was talking to us about her uncle Charles and his legacy that he left um, with the beautiful masks that he creates. And I did mention that you can find those masks on our Facebook page. Um, And you can also uh, order Trina's book. We'll talk about where in just a few minutes. But Trina, before we close, can you share um, your beautiful poem, I Am Here, Forget Me Not, that uh, is in your book? Would that be okay with you? Thank you. Okay. All right. I am here, forget me not. What is this diagnosis called Alzheimer's that takes away from me, that gives me no relief? that gives me no reprieve. Why this disease? Where am I at? What is today? What did I bake? Why can't I play? What is this sickness that takes away the light of day, that leaves me in darkness to come what may? What is this sickness that makes day after day a season away. Help me find some peace of mind to live my days in the ways that will bear witness to the bountiful life I had and my life to come, to make it matter, to make it matter, to make life matter. I am here, forget me not, from 
the Forget-Me-Not Chronicles, Volume 1. And I am Dr. Trina Lynch-Jackson. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. So, Trina, at the end of your book, you include a medical checklist. Can you share with us why this was really important for you to do? Well, the, the main reason why is, again, so many of us, and again, I'm talking about caregivers as well, we don't take the time to really know specifically medically what's going on in our lives. And I keep a medical checklist checklist for myself. Again, when is the last time you had a complete physical? When is the last time you actually had your eyes checked? You can go to Costco. Here I go advertising Costco again. <laughs> when is the last time you had a dental check? Because all of this has a dramatic effect on your mental health. When is the last time you had your hearing checked? mammograms. So many of us during the pandemic, we did not take care of ourselves. Now is the time to do that. Now we're okay talking about mental health. It's okay to have a therapist. I mean, my colleagues and I, because I have a master's in social work, um, I talked to one of my colleagues who is a registered and a licensed therapist. I am not licensed, but I did complete my social work um, degree. But we talk periodically. Um, we need that talk therapy. You may not need the medication, but you need to be able to talk to someone Um and David has been my person. He's been my person to kind of guide me, to chide me, because sometimes I'm just wrong, and that's okay as well. But you need someone to place you on a right path. So I have that person in my life, and I encourage everyone to be comfortable with that. So thank you for mentioning the medical checklist. Of course. Well, Trina, thank you so much for being here. I know that I learned a lot and it's always a pleasure just listening to you. You have the most amazing voice and you tell the most beautiful stories. And I know that our readers are really going to, or, I'm sorry, our listeners are really going to um, enjoy reading your book, uh, The Forget-Me-Not Chronicles, Volume 1, which you can find at barnesandnoble.com. Is that correct? Absolutely. Thank you. Of course. Is there anything that you um, would like to share in closing as we end this segment? I just want the listening audience to, to understand the importance of taking care of themselves, to do a check-in with your family members, to find out what's going on. Let's, let's not wait until the holidays to do that. So take the time today, take the time tomorrow Take the weekly time, the monthly time to check in with family members and also do a check in with yourself. So let's self check ourselves also. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Christina Michelle. This is Culture Rich Conversations, and we will be right back. Oh, 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 oh,
Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Today in Black History, we celebrate the life of civil rights activist, women's advocate, and politician Cynthia Dolores Tucker. Throughout her life, her accomplishments included many firsts in Black culture, such as the first woman and first African-American Secretary of State in Pennsylvania, and the first African-American woman to be elected as Vice President of the Pennsylvania Democratic Party. She was also a founding member and chair of the National Congress of Black Women. In 1965, Tucker organized a delegation from Philadelphia to participate in the Selma to Montgomery March with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In 1984, she was also elected chair of the Democratic Party's National Black Caucus. Tucker lost her life after a long battle with illness on October 12, 2005. We honor her life today and remember her words when she said, Never again will Black women be disregarded. We will have our share and parity in American politics. We appreciate you for listening today, and we look forward to hearing your feedback. Our email address is junobaa at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching BAA Juno. And our mailing address is P.O. Box 33734, Juno, Alaska 99803. Today's show was produced by Natasha Boozer. Until next week, may your life be blessed and flow with ease. I'm Christina Michelle, and this has been Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich. Oh,